podcast has bad words. <laughs> Let's talk about, um, I got a few articles here today since we're talking about being busy. Mm-hmm. I have uh, Five Reasons Everyone is So Busy by Tony Crab. I think that's his name. Crabby? Anyway, I didn't want to read the whole article. We can put a link to this in the show notes. But um, busy is easier. I think that's true. Mm. If we look at, at busyness, well, really, what we talk about in the minimal episode, busy is saying yes to everything. Mm. Of course that's easy. Yes. Until it's not. Mm-hmm. The saying yes to everything quickly becomes chaos. Imagine starting from a blank slate of complete peace. Mm-hmm. You're the hermit in the cave. Mm-hmm. He's definitely not busy, mm-hmm. but he is focused. Sure. And that hermit in the cave all of a sudden starts saying yes. They give him a blackberry. <laughs> uh, Sounds miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is a really f- uh, awesome thought exper- experiment here. Um, they give... We go to a hermit mm-hmm. who lives by himself or within a small hermit community, mm. which seems like an oxymoron, right? A hermit community. Yes. But let's say there is. There's a hermit community. I imagine there's two people in a hermit community, <laughs> which sounds awesome to me. <laughs> sounds overcrowded <laughs> a <little> bit, <laughs> for a hermit community. Yeah. like We're going to need like separate caves. <laughs> anyway, so you've got the hermit in the cave and all of a sudden you start introducing a th- thriving person's, or a, let's take a thriving person. We, we start introducing a successful person's routine mm. to the hermit. How quickly does their life spiral into chaos? Yeah. Th- yeah. Th- w- it wouldn't take too long. But in, and why is that? Well, I think it's because they're used to doing nothing. Exactly. Or, yeah. or, and I don't even know that they would see it as doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's with the. When we when we talk about like the Kapil stuff, like there is nothing, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean necessarily doing nothing. Like prescriptively, it is an understanding that they're simply that hermit is experiencing all the time. Mm-hmm. They're they're never reactive unless there is a true emergency. Sure, a saber toothed tiger has <laughs> walked into the cave. I didn't even know they still existed, but they did in this scenario. Yeah. And all of a sudden, then you're reacting. Yeah. But the successful man or woman or person mm-hmm. is constantly reacting. Mm. This is why I'm so fascinated by Cal Newport's new book. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. I've been too uh, busy, I'm <laughs> saying this in vocal <laughs> quotes here, to read his book because I, I he sent me an advanced copy to write a blurb about the book. And... I'm eager to take a look at it, but I want to give it the attention that it deserves because mm. it's a hell yeah to me because I want to understand it because I don't suspect Cal Newport is going to be like, well, here's how you get rid of your email. Mm. It just takes Slack and WhatsApp and a Franklin planner. And mm. you, all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute. I don't want to swap the one burden for three other burdens. Mm. And I think that's what the successful man often does. Mm. You were a successful man in your 20s, Ryan. Sure. And there was a lot of chaos there. Mm-hmm. Eventually, uh, it became chaos outside of work as well with the drugs. Yeah. Now, what was that about? What was what about? Why did that? Why was that so appealing if everything was so successful? Oh well, 
Why? Why well, success, take op- opioids? I mean, success. I mean, we've talked about this before. Uh, it's kind of what we make of it. So at the time, success was being busy. Mm-hmm. It was like having the the privilege of having a full plate of of money making endeavors. Mm. So, you know, success was for me was making a bunch of money and being able to afford all those debt payments. Like that was success. So the uh opioids were a way to uh an easy way to calm the busy mind. Mm-hmm. So that's what the appeal was of the of drugs. It was like I was so busy being successful mm-hmm. <laughs> that like I couldn't turn it off. Mm-hmm. So drugs and alcohol really help you turn all that off very quickly. Which is this number one point here, right? Busy is easier. Mm. And so it is, yeah. I think quite often we're looking for the easier yeah. outlet. And so when I can't turn it off, then I'm literally going to take the pill that turns it off. Mm. Talk about like prescriptions not working, right? Mm. Like this is one of those instances where like prescriptions truly backfired on you in a literal way. Mm. You broke your thumb and then were given pain pills. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, this turns off. It doesn't actually get to the root of the problem at all. No. It just creates a, a brand new problem. Turns off the anxiety. Which Temporarily, then, right? Yeah, yeah, and then it just comes back like twice as hard. When, oh, yeah. so fast. So, so by and that, that's actually the next point here. It's Biz, like, busy is avoidance. So, so yeah. the pills, in a way, were avoidance for a, a small sliver of time. Yeah, and it's it's funny too because yeah, there's the. It's like uh, I don't know. Let's say you have a big to do list, and the easy. So the easy thing is to say yes, mm-hmm. and then once you have this long to do list. Um, the easy thing is to put it off till tomorrow, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But then, like, if you do that, now when I you've got yesterday, you know, the the day passes. Now you have yesterday's to to do list and today's to do list. So now it's twice, twice the anxiety, twice as many things to do in a shortened period of time. It's it's very similar with drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's it turns off the anxiety, but then you're just basically putting off today's anxiety to you know, to suffer tomorrow with that anxiety and the next day's anxiety. It's like you have a today list, (laughs) but then you're putting everything on the tomorrow list. (laughs) It's really the future self list, right? Right. And so the decisions we make today, whether Mm. good or bad, right? What they're really doing is I'm making decisions for my future self. Mm -hmm. And I know about this intimately because of debt. And it was like, I'm going to please myself today. Mm-hmm. Talk about pleasure and misery. Mm. I'm going to please myself today. And it's definitely going to lead to extreme misery mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. When I have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, going into debt is easy. Mm-hmm. Doing drugs is easy. Mm-hmm. Um, busy is easy. And many of these things are, the, the, I think they lead right into that second point. Busy is avoidance because what we're we're actually avoiding mm. that which is meaningful to us by the way yeah. when we say there is nothing there is no meaning i i believe that i believe nothing has inherent meaning mm. it's like when you and i have a a rule in the minimalist rule book and it has to do with um 
uh, what I think it's called the spontaneous. Com- no, no, no. It's the willing to walk rule. The willing to walk rule basically says don't give meaning to a whole bunch of stuff, right? It, it, it's predicated on the, the, that line from Heat where the, the main character says, uh, be willing to walk away from anything in 30 seconds flat. Don't bring anything in your life unless you're willing to walk away from it in 30 seconds flat. Mm-hmm. What does that really mean? Well, I apply that to material possessions first. And it's like, well, it just simply means that don't give the things any meaning. Because if I bring something in my life as a tool, but it doesn't mean anything to me, it doesn't mm-hmm. have significance to me, mm-hmm. I can walk away from it any time. You're there on, on all your material possessions. Your house burns down tomorrow, you're fine. Sure. It's not a big deal. Someone else's house burns down, and they have a lot of meaningful things. Yeah in their home it's devastating mm, it's it, yeah it's all about the meaning we give it in fact it's you, the attachment it is and it's the attachment that we reinforce it's funny because it makes me think about that sadness i had about my parents and i was sad mm-hmm. oh man i wow i didn't even realize this until right now i was sad about the relationship that wasn't there but in that moment there was no attachment to the expectation of what the relationship should be. Yes. It was just a sadness of like, oh, like I I see other people with this. I know what I crave. I crave what I see other people have relationships with their parents. Mm-hmm. And I'm really sad that I can't even pursue that with my, like I don't even have the opportunity to build a relationship. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, I was appreciative of I think I was able to feel appreciative of that sadness because I was able to let go of the attachment of the outcome of what should be mm-hmm. as much as just kind of accepting like, oh, I'm sad and that's how it is and that's okay. And that's so, what the, the willing to walk rule is. It's really a rule about detachment or, yeah. or, or what I think the Buddhists would call non-attachment. And I think they make that distinction because mm. detachment is an action yeah. Whereas non-attachment is not an action. Mm, yeah. Uh, because you detach from something. It's like untethering. Right. You know, if you're uh, parachuting in tandem and you are tethered to someone, you would detach from them if you wanted to kill them. <laughs> um, or I don't know, parachute on your own. Um, but l- let's say that you... Dude, can we, can we go skydiving like when we're 85? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I mean, if I lived that long, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be so wonderful. <laughs> Um, you know you're gonna live us all, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, so the I, I tell you, the last you know, back in October, I ended up in the hospital. December, I was back in the hospital, mm-hmm. and it really put into perspective these sort of the busy, the busyness trap, right? Yeah, and the things that we say yes to, and that willing to walk simply means that I'm willing to walk away from any thing. Yeah. material good or even obligation that's on my calendar right i could walk away from any of that in fact i had to when when i ended up back in the hospital in december we had some interviews scheduled and it was like well clear the calendar mm-hmm. ryan can take some of these but like we just need to i have to walk away because mm-hmm. if i were to die mm-hmm. i'm going to walk away from it anyway right yeah you're not going to bury me with a, a blue yeti microphone and uh, and, and and hope that I, I keep keep no, it dude, going. No, it would be like weekend of Bernie's around here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, be fun! Uh, one last uh, tour, dude. There is a there is some random like cartoon 
where like they do the uh, uh, they do exactly what I'm talking about. It's like a two hosts, but uh-huh. like the one guy's like in the chair like <laughs> rotting. <laughs> I'm okay. Like you know, my will—it's crazy. Like I, my will says you can do whatever you want with my body. You can decapitate me and use my head as a soccer ball. You can shoot yeah. my head out of a cannon. Mm-hmm. It actually says this in my will. Yeah. Uh, because you know, once once my I, I'm dead, then my body is you know is is I'm no longer me, right? And so, um, anyway, back to the idea of walking away or mm-hmm. detachment or non-attachment, whatever you want to call it. Mm. What we're really talking about it starts with the stuff, and I think that's the the easier thing to grasp mentally because th- those are physical things, right? Mm. And then you look at your calendar and there's at least a representation there, a digital representation. Or if you're podcast, Sean, there's a planner there that shows your calendar, right? Mm. And wonderful. That, that's all there. And you can let go of that as well, but not in a prescriptive way where it's like, you should say no more. Just say no, kids. <laughs> Just say no to busy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and this is your brain on busy. Right. Oh, and, wow. Uh, and so uh, the, the thing is, it extends beyond that to mm-hmm. ideas. Being willing to walk away from ideas is so powerful. Being willing to walk away from habits that are no longer serving us yeah. is powerful. It doesn't mean you have to walk away from the thing, by the way. Mm-hmm. The non-attachment actually means we can have those things in our life and be okay Mm. with them there and not feel that they have some superior meaning, right? Mm. Now, it also means, this is paradoxical, but I think it translates to relationships as well. Hmm. So the willing to walk rule means that I'm in this relationship, Mm -hmm. you and I have a relationship, because, well, in the past, it may have been because there was some sort of sense of pious placation like mm-hmm. i need to be here they need me there's ego in that as well right mm. i'm supposed to be here i'm obligated to be here till death do us part i'm here mm. well you know what that obli- an obligatory love is not love Mm-mm. it's clinging yeah And so Mm. the willingness to walk away even from a relationship or especially from a toxic relationship. Now, sometimes we are the toxic person in the relationship. Mm -hmm. That's something that's fascinating, right? Because you can have two people who are non-toxic people. There's like a chemical reaction. There's a type of alchemy when those two people get together. Have you seen that where you have like two friends you really love and then they're dating or they're married? And all of a sudden it's like, how do they... How do they how do they end up together? Like I love this person on their own. I love this person on their own. When you put them together, there's like some chemical reaction. Hmm. And it creates a toxicity that isn't there when they're on their own. Yeah, sure. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think sometimes what happens is then we feel obligated and we're not willing to walk away. Well, why? Because we're avoiding the difficult conversations. Hmm. And so we we clutter our life with busyness, with obligations, with more, 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 more on the calendar more things to do, mm-hmm. more distractions. Because the next point here is busyness is an addiction. Well, we've already talked about addiction here, but we do get a bit addicted to being busy because we get addicted to status as well. Mm. I want people to think highly of me, which is an ego thing. Mm. So I'm going to be, this was, my, this was actually the biggest thing for me. Busyness was my addiction. Yeah. Why? Because I wanted people to think highly of me. Yeah. I'm so important. I'm so significant 
look how busy I am. Yeah. Everyone demands my time. Oh, right. and also I'm so highly capable because I can juggle all of these different... Never mind, this is making me truly miserable. It's burning me out. It's awful. It's making me sick. I'm tired. I have a cold all the time. Like all these things. It's like, what am I doing? I'm eating like crap. I feel like crap. Right. But I'm successful. Right. That's an addiction, man. Look how many balls I can juggle. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Look how talented I am with my busyness. Right. Busyness is about time, it says. Uh, and so. I think we've already talked. We, we in the minimal episode we talked a lot about time, how we have the same twenty four hours in a day, mm-hmm. but being non attached or or being having fewer obligations actually makes us feel like we have more time. My calendar is so calming. I one of the most calming things for me is when I get up in the morning. I get up really early and write. Now I don't feel busy. I feel focused. Yeah. If I look at the calendar before, uh, when I'm done writing and I, there's nothing on it for that day, oh. Yeah. I feel free. Yeah. But here's the thing. I still worked 10 hours that day. Right. It's just I got to do what I wanted to do. It wasn't dictated. Yeah. We uh, we might be getting sued for uh, lesses now. <laughs> it's me. I'm suing us. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hey, I didn't say you could use my footage. You used my likeness throughout the, the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um <clears throat> But no, anyway, like, and that, that made, that was the other thing. I forgot to talk about it on the minimal episode, but that was one of the things that made my week busier this week. And I, it didn't really stress me out. I feel fine. We have someone, we used a, a clip from a West Elm commercial, which was approved by an attorney. We used it as fair use. It was a less than three second commercial, I believe. Yeah. But the, the irony is we were trying to show how evil advertising is. Right. And now the evil advertisers. Once, what, they want their cut. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, you are further showing how evil you are right. by coming after us. We, we used it. We had this an IP attorney. We had to pay lots of money to approve the, using this clip. And now all of a sudden, anyway, um, so sometimes other people do infringe on our time. Mm. But the saying no and getting good at saying no, well, how do we do that? It's identifying the hell yes. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, yeah, we have to say yes to something is like, well, I'm obligated here in this case with the, the court Although even there, I could say I, I could say no. I'm not even going to deal with this. Yeah. But then eventually, that's going to cause more problems in the future. I'm 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 punting it to my future self. That's what debt is. That's what is. I'll do that next week. Is right. I'll wait till tomorrow. That's all punting to my future self. Yeah. And now he's going to have to carry all of that, and he has a lot of yards to catch up. <laughs> Number five, busy is rubbish. It's a rubbish success strategy. Well, mm. of course, we confuse busyness with success. In fact, we have a question about that coming up. So we'll talk about productivity yeah. here in a moment. Ryan, there were a couple essays that I have been thinking about writing. One, the title of it was, Every Obligation is an Obstacle. And mm. so instead of writing that essay, I figured we could just talk about obligations. Yeah, it, that's, that's interesting. I love that. Because it, it really helps you be deliberate with the obligations you you take on yeah. that you put on your plate. And, and, and it's okay to take on obligations, but you have to recognize like, oh, this is an obstacle I am putting it in front of me. Mm-hmm. And are you willing to go through that obstacle? And sometimes we love obstacles. Right? Yeah. Jordan No More, he's been doing rock climbing yes. recently. I love obstacle courses. <laughs> yes. I don't even know why. Like, I, I'm going to go find an obstacle course as soon as COVID's over. <laughs> <laughs> with the monkey bars and the tires and climbing the wall. Yeah, no, they're, sometimes they, they can be 
uh, uh, fun, for the lack of a better word. I know you hate fun. You're allergic to it. Bah humbug. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have a sneezing fit <laughs> <laughs> when I said fun. I took a Claritin this morning. <laughs> by the way, this episode is sponsored by Claritin. <laughs> I looked right in the camera for that. If you're one of the true fans, you saw me look into the camera. Yes. Uh, anyway, so I, what I'm saying here is like sometimes we, we're going to pick – when I say obligation, I mean uh, as an obstacle. When I say obstacle, I mean an obstacle to freedom. So when I look at that calendar and mm. I see total freedom on my calendar, wow. But sometimes I don't want the total freedom. Sometimes I want something that is a – Something I can focus on. Yeah. So in a way, every obstigation, uh, every obstigation. Ooh, <laughs> it's good. Is that a episode title, Sean? Yeah, obstigation. <laughs> Let's yeah. not do that. Um, <laughs> every obligation is an obstacle. What I really mean by that is that, well, man, we have created these obstacle courses that we don't want. So mm. imagine if you were driving into, I actually ran into your wife this morning. Mm -hmm. uh, she was dropping you off at the convenience store. And, <laughs> um, and, and so like I was walking into the studio this morning mm. and I saw her. But imagine if on that drive, it was just like pot giant, like seven foot potholes everywhere mm -hmm. and barricades and fire trucks. And, mm. and there were like geysers in the middle of the road. Y you'd be like, I sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds awesome once, but yeah. But, but then every day, it sounds like end of, the, end of the world action flick. Exactly. Yeah, right. We've turned our lives into an end of the world action flick. <laughs> We've all turned our lives into the our daily life into the worst episode of Twenty Four ever. <sighs> Remember Man. Jack Bauer Twenty Four? It was real exciting and awesome. But imagine if we did that. We we put a GoPro on you, and all of a sudden it was just boop, boop, yeah, boop. It would be the worst episode of 24 because yeah. it's calendar and email and phone call and conference call and Zoom, mm. Zoom, Zoom, another Zoom call. Yeah. My calendar is just filled with these Zooms. I mean, it got to a point where I just had to stop doing Zooms at one point, right? Yeah. It was too much. And so huh. we've, we've turned our everyday life into a really awful, hideous obstacle course. We didn't. We didn't intentionally pick the obstacles, and that's the problem. We did to choose them, yeah. but we weren't deliberate about the obstacles we've placed in our life. And now all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God, I'm overwhelmed because of all these obstacles. Well, time to clear the clutter of it, obstacles. It's wild how in my, my thoughts right now, I'm like connecting these obstacles we create with all of this misinformation that people are just like soaking up right now with, I don't know, flat earthers and QAnon and mm -hmm. reptile people and yes. whatever it is, Illuminati, whatever it is, right? It's almost like there's something, there's something in us that craves the obstacles. Why, why, why do you think people are seeking out those I don't things? Know. Let, let's not even take the most extreme examples of, the Q and the reptiles and all this other stuff. But like the constant news barrage, right? We did the broken yeah, news episode. That's a great, yeah. But w why do you think your average person who seeks it out on a daily basis, w now we can tell ourselves we do it to be informed or whatever, mm -hmm. but what's the real reason? It's to evoke an emotion, positive or negative. Mm -hmm. You got a little thing right here. Oh, thanks. You got it. I get it? Yeah, it's all good. Thanks. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 to evoke an emotion. It's yeah. uh, you know, it's going to the news for to feel something, mm-hmm. but there's there's like something right now that is, I don't know, it's being highlighted that the world that we live in right now. It's almost like we would rather have obstacles than nothing. Mm. So, mm. yeah, it's like boredom is uh, our enemy. And for some reason, like boredom is the obstacle that we perceive when really boredom is the thing that we should probably be comfortable with. And we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Being well, comfortable the boredom with. thing is, is simply a sign, right? Because the ocean never gets bored. You say, mm. well, the ocean doesn't have any sort of experience. Yeah. In fact, to use the term earlier, human experience. And I think that's fascinating because I think most humans very rarely have a human experience. Yeah. The the hermit has a human experience. Mm. The Hadza in Tanzania have a human experience every day. Mm. The average person, me, when I'm on my Blackberry in the corporate world 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. I was not having a human experience. No. I was not really living. I was constructing a life. Mm. If you look at a bird out the window, they're not constructing a life. They're not having a bird experience either. Right. They're simply experiencing all the time. Yeah. They're not punting for some future. Right. And I, well, yeah, but we're not birds. Okay. Yeah. But the Hadza aren't birds either. Mm-hmm. And yet their experience is so much more similar to the well, the birds than our than your and I non-human experience that we go yeah. through whenever we when we put these obstacles up because the Hadza don't have obstacles in the sense that you and I do they have challenges mm. uh, but in terms of essential needs right but but um, the birds are the same way but they don't place these it's like we're addicted getting back to busy as an addiction, mm-hmm. we're addicted to the obstacles. Yeah. And I think it's because we're addicted to the pursuit. The yeah. pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of misery. We've already determined that. We know that you can't have the highs without the lows. You can't go to the mountaintop in Montana without having first been through the valley. Right. Right. Because the, the mountaintop does not exist without the valley. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just in Fargo, right? <laughs> in Fargo, if you go to Fargo, it's emphatically flat. Right. You can travel 225 miles north to Winnipeg. It's the same exact amount of elevation, distance, elevation but above sea level, right? Yeah. And, and that's because there are no peaks and valleys there. Right. And so the hermit lives in Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically, we love we love Fargo. By the Fargo, way, yeah, it's one of my favorite. Uh, it's like favorite small cities. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I would put Fargo in my top six cities if you discount the weather. Mm. In fact, I would probably move to Fargo if it had California's weather. Oh yeah, I could see that. Fargo is a great outsized city, ton of culture per capita there. Yeah, the worst weather in the country. <laughs> uh, but so, I think the hermit lives in Fargo with great weather in mm. a way, mm-hmm. and and experiences things without the 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 need for the the peak and 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 thus the need for unfortunate need for the valley yeah well there's something to be said with like with the hadza is that is that Hadza, what they are? yeah hadza i don't even what are, what are the hadza where do they live at 
They live in Tanzania, so in Africa. Okay. Uh, they are they're they're a hunter gatherer tribe. Cool. So you look at the Hadza, and they have, you know, basic needs that they have to meet with food and shelter, and you know, uh, reproducing. So because they live in this, uh, what I'm assuming is like a non technologically advanced civilization yeah it's, it's, it's what we would call pre-civilized we used to call them uncivilized people <laughs> now they're pre-civilized we're, we're actually the ones who are uncivilized right. they're the yeah. ones who are pre-civilized but there's something to be said with like so they have these obstacles to meet the basic needs but once those are met uh they can just live they can have the human experience there's something to be said with how maybe we're not comfortable with boredom because our basic needs are met so easily. Yes. Especially like in the United States. Right. So we have no friction there. Right. So it's like we have no, we, <laughs> the obstacles that we have had, you know, he, that humans have had for tens of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Now they're not all of a sudden within the last hundred years, 150 years, there are no obstacles for those basic needs. So maybe that is why there's this thing being triggered in us that, uh, we're creating our own our own obstacles because we're not used to having our needs met so easily. Now I don't know if that's good or bad. It, it's not good or bad. I mean, no, it's just true. It's, yeah, what you're it, saying it, is the truth. It just is what I like to imagine is somehow we are evolving to to figure out what are those next needs, I guess, or what are those next what are those healthy obstacles? Like the healthy obstacle is oh I'm waking up i'm hungry you know i i have to get together with my uh with my community and go hunt down an animal Mm. so we're going to track the animal we're going to run we're going to hunt we're going to come back we're going to celebrate so you know that's that is an obstacle that uh it seems reasonable it doesn't seem like a self-imposed obstacle so the question so again the question is, is are we and i don't know the answer but i like to think yeah like we might be evolving towards um what are our next set of healthy obstacles, I guess, you know? Yeah. So, so I would look at it this way. What you're describing is we are manufacturing obstacles. Yes. And so when you're talking about the Hadza, they sort of had natural obstacles, right? right. And there's a difference between natural o- obstacles mm-hmm. and synthetic obstacles. Mm-hmm. And the natural obstacles allow us to still live life and experience life Mm-hmm. To just experience, not construct the life. But as we're trying to construct the life, we 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 create these synthetic obstacles, mm. and it revolves around our busyness, our calendars, our success, our achievements, yeah. our competition, mm-hmm. all, all of these these things. Because you're right, our basic needs are met far more easily than the Hadza. Although, if you see the Hadza. It doesn't even seem like an obstacle to them. They eat well every day. They probably mm-hmm. have the most healthful diets on earth mm-hmm. because it's not because of what they eat, but because of what they don't eat. Right. They don't have all the seed oils. Yeah. They, they don't have all the processed foods. McDonald's hasn't opened up a <laughs> no, no. restaurant down there. Right. They don't have <laughs> currency. They don't have. Uh, they, they don't have anything that is packaged. They have access to. Are you trying to talk me into moving to Africa? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's working. <laughs> well, I think that well, what's fascinating, you know, our friend Paul Saladino just went to 
Tanzania recently, and in in the city, they are already infected by oh. all of the Western world. The seed oils, the you, you don't even know what's in your food there. Just like where where, where we are, if we don't, unless we cook at home, we don't really know what's in the food. Yeah, and, and so I mean, it's gonna. You're going to be surprised 20 years from now when we figure out that seed oils are the number one cause of cancer. I'm speculating. I don't know that for sure. Dude, the American diet. I mean, Max Lugivier. Am I saying his last name right? Mm -hmm. On his Instagram. He's on Clubhouse, by the way. He's in some great rooms. Sweet. I I love on his Instagram, every once in a while, he'll post uh, the same exact product. Yes. Sold in Australia versus sold in the United States or sold in some other country. Did you see his ketchup one? Versus the United States. No, I did not see that one. But it just goes to show how uh, how unhealthy Americans are. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, like, you know, we've got the FDA and all these regulations, but it's like we're not we're not regulating the right things. Mm. It's like. In Australia, with cereal, for example, they're like five ingredients. Yes, I, th- I think it was like Fruit Loops or Lucky Charms. Oh wow! And it was like five ingredients. Uh huh. Which they were all, you know, it was like wheat, sugar. I mean, they weren't the healthiest ingredients. Yeah, still processed. But it, it's but then you look at the United States ingredients, and it was like you know Lucky Charms with like twelve different ingredients, six of which I have never heard of. <laughs> and there was no sugar; it was all corn syrup. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was really. It's just really enlightening. The one he did on ketchup. By the way, let's put a link to this in the show notes, his Instagram post <laughs> on, on uh, ketchup. I'm just imagining in other countries it's like tomato paste, uh, water, sugar. Yeah, it's like, yeah, vinegar. Uh, yeah, vinegar, right. Yeah, and, and ketchup. And, or, um, it's ketchup is, is, is vinegar and, and tomato paste. and you know, It's like tomatoes. Sure. And some vinegar and uh, maybe a little bit of sugar or something. Right. And then in America, it is like a – it's like this – you're watching this on the video it's my notes here and it's fine print yeah it's just so much crap and by the way and then i I think it's uh, mark sisson who talks about never put anything in your mouth that you can't pronounce (laughs) and um yeah although yeah yeah and and now obviously that's not a universal rule but i had a friend in high school she couldn't say deodorant (laughs) <laughs> she said deodorant. <laughs> Actually, she messed up so much she would say antiperspirant. <laughs> oh my, antiperspirant, deodorant. Yeah. Well, I could say antiperspirant, so I could put it in my mouth, right? Oh my god. No, and that's not what we're saying. But like, obviously, what he's getting to, the essence of it is, if you don't know what's on the label, yeah, why are we putting these things in our body? Yeah, and. And so I know I'm getting away from the the point, but the point is natural versus synthetic. That's where we started here. Mm. And we have a bunch of almost all of our obstacles now are not natural obstacles now. Right. It's all synthetic obstacles. Yes. Uh, 99.999% of what's going on in our world, synthetic obstacles. What does that mean? That means they're obstacles by choice. Mm -hmm. And so they're obligations by choice. Yeah. We are not obligated by our obligations. Yeah. I'd like to talk to you about the hidden cost of being busy. I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, Ryan. But there's a sort of the career cost. I think in a way, being busy all the time, The reason, one of the re- reasons we, we stay busy is because it looks good in the eyes of our corporate overlords who allow us to climb the ladder to get closer to their level of misery. Well, you're like... I remember staying busy in the corporate world to like prove my worth. Okay, if I'm busy, then if people see me doing things, then that means that 
I'm worth the dollars that this corporation is spending on me to have this job title, essentially. We're so confused, right? Because yeah. we're, we're saying we're conflating worth. And I totally agree with what you just said there. I think that's spot on. We conflate worth with busyness. Yeah. I'm worthy only if I'm constantly in motion. Mm. I'm always doing something. And what is, what's the implicit me- message of that? Stillness is worthless. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. But of course, stillness, you know, Ryan Holiday just wrote the book called Stillness. It, stillness is, in fact, go back and listen to our episode with him. Um, Ryan wasn't here for that, uh, but I think it was right when you broke your back or something. But yeah. he he and I did an episode on on stillness. And what could be more valuable than the pause, mm-hmm. because that's where the awareness, the understanding always comes from a stillness. It never comes from a, a doing. Yeah. You can't do your way. You can't tasklish your way to a deeper understanding. It's so weird how being still is uncomfortable. Oh. I mean, you know, it's funny because we're having this conversation, but and I'd like to hear your perspective on this because out of all my friends, you are the one who the uh, the most cannot do nothing. Mm. I mean, I remember like in 2014, the tour was over and you were having like back problems and because we were sitting in the car a lot and yeah. that's when like you're, you know, you, you, some health problems started coming up and I'm sure. like, oh man, like I really want to give Josh the advice of like, hey man, do nothing for a month yeah, so you can recover and like you can come down off of this stress that we just had for a year long. Yeah. So you went to San Diego, you went to go stay with your girlfriend at the time Uh and you did nothing and you came back and you were like, Ryan, I, I will never do that again. It's terrible. Let me explain why. So you're right. We are uncomfortable with stillness. Mm -hmm. We meaning all of us. Yes. But the Hadza are not uncomfortable with stillness. Mm. In fact, it's a great source of, Experience. I won't even say pleasure for them. It's a great source of experience for them, mm. is or maybe even a great so- source of joy for them. In it's a, because it's part of the everyday life. The reason we're so uncomfortable with it is because it's not part of our everyday life. Now, here's what the problem with. Because I agree with you, I was that way. I'm not that way anymore. Mm. But I, I, but there's still remnants of it for sure. Mm-hmm. But in 2014 is a great example of that. So 2014. We basically donated a year of our lives. Mm-hmm. Donated is the wrong word, but I mean, we didn't make a bunch of money. We we went on a tour, and all the money we 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 did made, exactly what we wanted to do that, and year. it was awesome. Yes, but it was not very still. It was constantly in motion. Oh my god! But it, it also wasn't obligated. We got to do it. Yeah. But with the moving so quickly, and then stopping fast, like in your car. You get whiplash if you do that. Mm-hmm. If you slam on the brakes or you ram into someone. And that month I spent in San Diego, quote, doing nothing. Yeah. It was disorienting because it was it was like whiplash in a way. Mm. Now, now the Hadza have part of their everyday. Now, it's not a routine as in the sense of what is your morning routine? No, it's just part of their existence. Right. It is stillness. But when stillness becomes part of your existence, all of a sudden you... There's a serenity in it, mm. but not when it's prescribed stillness. And that's what I did back in 2014. <laughs> I was I went and did stillness. Right. You can't 
do stillness. It reminds me of uh, mm, there's that's a good one, point. One of my favorite David Foster Wallace lines. I was talking about this on. Um, this is the DFW segment of the Minimalists we, Private Podcast. We did a whole DFW segment on uh, <laughs> Bex's podcast. It's called How to Love, by the way. How to Love Show. It's Patreon only. If you are interested in hearing a lot of things that I've never talked about in public ever. Um, oh my God! Anyway, uh, How to Love is the name of her podcast. We we're talking about there's a line from one of his short stories that uh, it's about hummingbirds, I believe, or maybe it's about bees. But I think it's hummingbirds. Mm. In order for a hummingbird to stand still, they have to move very fast. Mm. You've seen that, right? A hummingbird where they they look like they're staying still, right? But their wings are flapping a million miles a minute. And that was me in December of mm. 2014. Yeah, I I was doing. Stillness. I was doing nothing. Here I am. I'm doing nothing. I am doing nothing. Hi, I'm Josh. I'm doing nothing. I would do nothing harder. And that was the thing. But now there's stillness built into my everyday. When I talk about the, the calendar. Now, I work a lot. There's no question. And this week in particular, I had a few. Yesterday was a 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. sort of day. That's the first time I've done that in a decade. Damn. Now, I. I was because I saw the finish line and I'm like, I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm not going to punt this. Like, yeah. And so I, I just finished it all up. But even in that, there was a great joy in it because there was stillness throughout the day. Like I went for a walk. To go around my block is exactly half an hour for me. Mm. From my door to my elevator, around the block, up the stairs, in the elevator, into my door is like 29 minutes. And, and I did that several times with... No music, no podcast. It was just, just the walk, the stillness. Now, the world is still moving around me. Mm-hmm. And so stillness isn't a literal stillness of motion. And it's also not stillness of the mind mm-hmm. because that's impossible. Yeah. Don't think right now, Ryan. <laughs> like, that, that's what it's like to say do stillness. It's mm-hmm. like saying don't think. Right. When I'm talking about stillness, it is a mental stillness. Mm. And when I'm writing, that's when I actually experience the most stillness, mm. the state of no mind, mm. not mindlessness, mm-hmm. not mindfulness, mm-hmm. but the state of no mind, a flow state, one might call it. There's a particular kind of stillness there. Mm. And, um, and, and so I don't seek that out so much as I, as I recognize it for what it is mm-hmm. it is an experience and, and that is all and i've gotten a lot more comfortable with it in the way that you would get more comfortable with going to the gym so to extend the, the metaphor or to use a mixed metaphor here back in december 2014 it was like i i had never worked out before or mm-hmm. i had i took the last 11 months off of working out and then i hit the gym three times a day every day mm. and it was like well what am i doing i'm yeah. this is this is awful. Yeah. And and that's what was happening. I, I was doing stillness as opposed to like, well, making room for the stillness, for the boredom. Mm. And once I started doing that, because I learned from that, that 2014 thing, and I've gotten a lot better, but especially in the last six months, last 12 months, but especially the last six months, I I've really felt a peace that I've never felt before. And I think a lot of that has to do, we, we can call it stillness, we can call it eudaimonia, whatever, mm. but, but uh, there's a peace and that never comes from a doing. Right. I can't, I can't 
do my way to peace. I got to work harder on being peaceful. <laughs> it's like the U.S. trying to bomb people into peacefulness. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Uh, is it iRobot? Where he's like, we're here to rescue you. <laughs> it's like the robot like destroying everything in his path. <laughs> Stay well, quiet while we rescue you. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, the, it's yeah. It's silly when you say it out loud, obviously, right? Yeah, right. We do have some surprise questions here today. I thought we would dive into a few of these. How Let's about do it. How about Helen's question? Helen writes, "I'm a new mom. The to-do list seems endless and there's little external help available during this global pandemic. Yet, I need space for me to experience not being busy." How do I appropriately and effectively ask for space in what feels like a very busy world, whether personal or professional? So asking for space. I think we, we kind of touched on this, right? Mm. The There's clearly a need for space here, right? Mm. And I like that you are approaching this this way because, yes, the to-do list seems endless because it is endless. It is oh. never Even when you get... When you clear the to-do list yeah. of what's going to happen. It's not like, well, I did it. You wad it up. You throw it away. I'm never going to have a to-do list again. In our mind, that's almost how we treat it. Mm. Oh, I finally did the to-do list. Yeah. No, there's always a new one, right? Yep. And so the problem is always external, right? There's little external help available during the global pandemic. Well, mm. okay. The external help. Well, what does that mean? External help. Help. It's yeah. almost the, it's the external that is the hurt. Mm. It's the to-do list is filled by the external. Yeah. If there was no external, mm. if you're on a deserted island, if you're the hermit in the cave, mm. the hermit does not have a to-do list. Right. The to-do list is always dictated by society. I'm trying to put my myself in Helen's shoes. Um. <laughs> oh, look at me, I'm Helen. <laughs> 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 Remember when you won the stiletto race? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, that was that was fun. Um, I ruined my. I got the biggest, nastiest blister that got really infected. Oh, it was so bad. God, I had, like soaking Epsom salt for days to heal that thing. Um, all right. So no, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in Helen's shoes. So it's what I imagine is she has kids. Maybe she's single, and she has only her you know kids living with her. So, you know, however old they are, like, they require Helen's assistance. Yes. So, uh, I don't know. What would you do (laughs) besides kill yourself (laughs) if you had only... If I was a new mom? If you had had only Ella, Mm -hmm. no Bex, no Ella's dad to to be like, here, go with your dad for a little bit. Uh If it was just you and Ella in a household... Sure. During a time like this, like how would you approach that with making sure her needs are met and that and your needs are met? Because I know how challenging parenting is being a part-time parent. Like, so how would you what 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 would you do if you were a full-time parent, just you and Ella, single dad type situation? I really like this question. I want to answer it thoughtfully. So we're gonna to listen to a song from the Less Is Now soundtrack because I have to use the bathroom. I know I do too. Oh man, good time. Let's do Great that. Great minds finish each other's. Sandwiches? Yes. All right. Enjoy the song from the Less Is Now soundtrack. We'll be right back to finish Helen's question and a bunch more questions.
from the times we are alive to the moments we dream from the whispering secrets to the Let's get back to Helen's question because you asked me basically if uh, all of a sudden, you know. Uh, I'm trying to put you in Helen's shoes. Yes. So you have Ella. Yeah. It's, it's, on, it's you and Ella only or only you and Ella? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what you want your modifier to be. <laughs> Where should my modifier be? <laughs> so, but it, it, if it's just the two of you. Uh-huh. Just the two of us. Or let's say it was you and two Ellas. She had a twin, an identical twin sister. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, now, is she my daughter in this scenario still? Yes. Okay. How would you... So, like, I'm just... Again, this is going back to putting ourselves in Helen's shoes. Sure. I think you're probably the closest to it because you, you have a daughter. Um, but you have the ability to be a part-time parent, which... Uh, Helen may not have that luxury. So if you did not have the luxury of being a part-time parent, parent, how would you handle... How would you handle that situation? Because I could see, personally, I could see you being like, hey, Ryan, I need you to take Ella and her identical twin sister. I need you and Mariah to like take them to Disneyland. Yeah. And if and if they never come back, <laughs> no, you, you would be like, hey, um, g- give me some time alone. Hel- help me out. I need time alone. Uh, can yeah. you please take the girls uh-huh. and maybe give me a day so I could catch up on some stuff or, or so I can have some meetings. Maybe it's not even catching up. Maybe it's just chilling out and relaxing, relaxing and acting so cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fresh princess, Ryan Nicodemus. <laughs> That's right. No, I, you know, we're in California, which is a fairly liberal state. And so I think Ella's in her 28th <laughs> trimester currently. <laughs> Doing the math here. Is it too late? I think the 27th <laughs> trimester is okay, but 28th is too uh, late. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> we'll, we'll set that aside then. And we, 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 we just have to, as you asked, how would I handle it then? I'd have to handle it, right? Yeah. And, and you have to find this balance between meeting your children's needs and meeting your own needs. Right. And so Ella is seven. She'll be eight really soon. And... We had Chris Kelly on the podcast a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he said something that was like a little throwaway line, but it was so profound to me. And it has, over the last couple of weeks, really affected my parenting mm. in a positive. Yeah, yeah in, in a mm. in a way, sure, but in a illuminating way. He said a truth that I hadn't thought about until he said it. He said, when people ask me what my parenting style is, mm-hmm. I don't have a parenting style mm-hmm. because I don't parent my children. Mm. 
and the weird thing is, before he said that, the way I thought about him is, oh, he's one of the best parents I know. Like, no question. Yeah. He is one of the best parents. Yeah. And it's because he's not a parent to his children. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's not like a play on words, but like a parent does what? Teaches, yeah. instructs, gives lessons. Trying to constantly control and... Controls, tries. Yes, and not only that, but like Helen, out of the best of intentions, mm-hmm. if her kids ask her for something, she's as a parent, she feels like she has to meet their needs. Yes. So it's not only trying to like create and control an environment, but it's also being reactionary. Mm. And it's you know maybe the maybe a piece of uh, advice. I don't know. I think I, we're still trying to get it out of the advice business, right? Sure. So what is what is the but, but, truth? But, but maybe here? yeah, so maybe the truth for Helen is maybe you know, A, find people in your community, in your tribe. Uh are we allowed to say tribe? We can say whatever we want. Okay. Yeah. Tribes I the way I think about tribes is yeah. they they It's a group of people who are unite very, against something, a community unites around something. Okay, so community. So Helen, you can look in your community. And ask for help from your community. Right. There's no shame in asking for help. If you're in a community that's going to shame you for asking for help, you might want to find a different community. Oh, yeah. Um, but the other thing, too, is what Chris Kelly brought up. No, it wasn't Chris Kelly. It was the doctor. Dr. Damon Corb. Oh, man. That was like, I learned so much about parenting. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to be a parent. <laughs> <laughs> that's a parent. Yeah. <laughs> hey, oh. Um, what, what did he say about instead of constantly doing things for your children, like you, you let them figure it out for themselves. So when they ask you for help, he said, never lift your child into a tree, but if they can climb the tree, they're allowed to climb as tall as they want. Right. So when a child, so Helen, when your kids come to you and ask you for help, Uh maybe instead of like doing it for them, you could posit the question back to them and say, Oh, I see you need help with this. What do you think we should do? Mm. What if, you know, what if mom wasn't here? How would you take care of that problem? How would you solve that problem? Yeah. So maybe it's, uh, instead of being reactionary and, and you know, there's not enough information. I'm just making all types of assumptions with Helen's situation. I think that's necessary, but asking those questions, right? I like you bring this up because what he, what Dr. Corb really talked about, what he illuminated for me was the questions are, because it's not that's not the parenting in the traditional sense. So when we t- think of parenting, we're like, do this. It's instruction. It's like a drill sergeant in a way. Mm. The modern day parent has become the drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. But maybe the pre-civilized parent. By the way, there were no parents in pre-civilized culture. They were all all the adults were adults, and then there were children. They never parented their children. Right. But if their kids came to them. They would help them see by simply asking questions. And yeah. so that's what I got from Dr. Korb was is much more about asking questions. But to the second part of her question here, Ryan, mm-hmm. how do I appropriately and effectively ask for space? Right. Uh, well, and, and so I think maybe it's not about, I mean, you can ask, but, but the understanding of space is like, well, I understand I don't have enough space right now. What would that space get me? Like, what am I, what am I, what am I missing out on by not having 
this space. Yeah. What would that, because why do you want that space? Well, because I'm too stressed out. Mm. Oh, okay. So you don't really want space. You want fewer obligations. Mm. That's, that's a wonderful realization. Brava. Because if you've realized mm. that you, your current obligations are not working for you, more obligations, because that's what we do. It's like, ah, the current obligations I have, you know what, Ryan? I've got the wrong obligations. I've got the wrong obstacles. Yeah. Which could be the case, but I, for all intents and purposes, I see what you're like filling them with different wrong obligations mm-hmm. <laughs> isn't going to make the situation any it's like, better. It's like trash, mm. right? If you have like a really dirty piece of trash, mm-hmm. this is a Kapil Gupta um, thing, or and you have like a clean piece of trash. Mm-hmm. Well, you just have two pieces of trash. Like one is a nicer piece of trash than the other. <laughs> and it's not going to be as bad as the dirty, poopy piece of trash. Sure. But it's still a piece of trash nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. We have a question here from Michael. What do you view as the difference between busy and productive? I don't like either of those words. Woo! <laughs> me either. So I did talk about this in that video a l- just briefly, but let me expand on it. So the video I did called Let's Talk About Being Busy. I am less busy now than I ever have been or ever was in the corporate world mm-hmm. and, and continue to be less busy as the years go on. My calendar, I say no to almost everything on that calendar. Mm-hmm. But my days are still really full. A- and so like, why, wait a minute. I'm not busy i'm focused but i'm not productive because before i was very productive i got mm. a lot of things done remember the whole gtd movement back in the oddies do you remember? get yeah. things done yeah. there was like a whole planner gtd like it was this acronym and 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 people got th- and by the way there's, it, there's a book on it and i get it I, I understand and if you are looking to have a lot of obligations having a systematized thing will help you get things done. It will help you be more productive. Oh, my God. However. This is stressing me out. I know, right? (laughs) I'm not very productive. However, I am much more effective. So I'm not busy. I'm focused. I'm not productive. I'm effective. It's almost like um, this question. It's like busy apes the form of productivity, which apes the form of busyness, which apes the form of productivity. It's like. Well, I I actually think the other way. I think. I think busy apes the form of focus, but it doesn't have any of the qualitative aspects. It has only the quantitative aspects mm. of focus. And then I think product productive, producing products, productive, mm. apes the form of effectiveness, but without oh, a, any, yeah. any of the, yeah, the actual benefits. Because you can be productive, a productive arsonist yeah. is productive. He produces a lot of fires. But he do, he's not effective in the sense that like uh, he's not living a meaningful life or he's not producing things of value, right? Mm. And so I produce things of value. Mm. And so I'm more effective in that way, but I don't get nearly as many things done. So the thing from the video is like, if you compare my productivity mm. on a pie chart next to my 27-year-old self, I was way more productive at 27. Sure. But I'm much more effective today so it's almost like uh instead of instead of busy versus productive maybe it's like focused versus effective it's focused and effective versus busy and productive yeah yeah 
Mm. Let's talk about Sean has a qu- actually. Let's save Sean's question. We have two others, two or three others that I really want to get to here. Okay, we'll we'll end with Sean's question. Great. Lilla Beth has a question for us. How do you prioritize if everything seems to be essential or urgent? Oh man, there's like a. I got it. I brought it for you. So this is what Eisenhower. Dude, if everything is important then nothing is important if everything is essential then nothing is essential exactly right Mm. so ryan i have this chart for you here this is the eisenhower matrix put a link to this in the show notes sean you can just google the eisenhower matrix google image search produce this I, i learned this first back in the corporate world but Let's describe this for the people who are just listening. So, Ryan, I've got a square here, right? Mm-hmm. And in that square, there is a like a dotted plus sign in the middle. So you have four quadrants, right? Yes. And uh, well, I guess you could just say you have quadrants. Four quadrants is uh, oh, man, a bit redundant. Me, help me understand this. Okay, so yeah. So on one side, you have how important something is. None. So it is not important, mm-hmm. all the way up to very important, right? Yes. And then you have urgent versus not urgent. Unfortunately, we confuse important with urgent, especially in today's sort of fire hose world. This is beautiful, man. Everything seem, everything is urgent. And what? We think it's important because it's urgent. Yeah. Two completely different things. Yeah. So, so how do you differentiate between urgent and not urgent? Personally, I would ask urgent to whom? Right. Whom? Mm-hmm. Nailed it. Yes, you got it. <laughs> so when something is urgent to you, it may not be urgent to me. And, yeah. Unfortunately, in our society, the expectation is often, and we let other people's expectations dictate our schedule, our to-do list, our days, our weeks, our months, all of our time, our lives are dictated by others' expectations. And thus, their urgency becomes my urgency. Mm. Your emergency becomes my emergency. By the way, urgent is just another way to say really close to being an emergency. Oh, yeah. It's a synonym. Uh, yeah, yeah. Urgent it, care. It, it, right, right. It's it's like, oh, it, I, I don't have to go to the emergency room. Right, but I, yeah. But it's I need to go somewhere pretty soon, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so an important thing, though, is not necessarily urgent. And so these quadrants will show you if something mm. is important and urgent, those are the things I want to be doing. Because it is important to me. Another way to say important, you could say, I like the the word in this question, essential. If something is essential and urgent, that's what I want to do right now. Now, if some, now most of our important things aren't urgent, right? Mm-hmm. And so if it's important but not urgent, meaning not urgent to me, then I can plan that. That can go on my someday list, right? Yeah. It's important to me. The things on my someday list are important. Mm-hmm. but they are not urgent to me. The not important things that are urgent, well, it says delegate those things on this list. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, why would I do that? Why don't I just, uh, instead of del- delegate, how about delete? Yeah. I mean, I could see, I, I see what it's, this is like in a corporate world maybe? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. So that makes sense in a corporate world, but in our personal lives, like, yeah, it's... I, yeah, you could delete it rather than. What happens to the delegator though? They're just screwed, I guess. Like the person who or the <laughs> person who's been delegated to. Well, here's the thing: is if you delegate, you uh-huh. must also be delegated to it at times. Right. And I think in like a you know in a, in a relationship, friendship, romantic relationship, partnership, business partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are things that you will delegate to me. Sometimes I take care of it, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Sure. Uh, usually, yeah, um, yeah. So, so I get that, but. 
But to your point, there are times when you probably could just delete it and not even delegate it. Right. And I think most of the time, because it's, especially because it's urgent and not important, it apes the form of importance. It feels essential because it's in your face right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, it, it is someone just jumping up and starting to dance in your face. It's like, it's not important, but like, man, this is urgent. I, mm-hmm. And so, of course, the other, the fourth quadrant here is not important and not urgent. There are a lot of things like that, right? But if it's right in front of us, we still feel reactive to the thing, right? Yeah. And so it says eliminate, I would say eliminate anything that isn't important whenever possible. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, if it's not important and urgent, then eh, is it? really urgent would be my to, yeah. question are there like uh analogies we can give here for each one of these boxes maybe maybe that would take too much time well let's just talk about essential right so you and i've been grappling with this question for the last 10 years what is essential now of course the last year or so everyone's been grappling with that question right. essential workers essential travel essential businesses ass- yeah. whatever right. essential 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 and and so getting back to the question here, mm-hmm. everything seems to be essential or urgent. Mm. No, everything seems to be essential and urgent. Mm. And that's the problem is because many things that are essential or we could just say important mm-hmm. are not urgent. In fact, most important things are not urgent, but certainly most urgent things mm. are not important. Mm. And when we have that understanding, hmm then the doing sort of takes care of itself. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm just trying to come up with like an analogy, you know, I've like, I've got a kid that needs to go to soccer practice, but I can't take him. Josh, can you take my kid to soccer? So this is like neither mm-hmm. important. This is urgent, but it's not very important. Sure. It's urgent for me. Uh-huh. Not important for you or I. It's important for the kid. It, it, so it's urgent, but it's not important. Yeah. So we're talking about you here, right? Yeah. It's urgent. Not important. And so what do they say here? You can delegate, delegate that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that makes sense. You can, instead of delegate, you say you can ask for help. Maybe yeah. that's a better way yeah. to put it because delegate puts you on a pedestal. Yes. Well, you know, I think people have, and when I say people, I mean me, mm-hmm. have a hard time of knowing when to take something on myself, when to ask for help, when to like just take it off my plate altogether. And I think this these quadrants mm-hmm. help us, it gives us confidence and okay, like here's a time where we need to ask for help. Oh, here's something that like, no, I shouldn't ask for help on. I need to, to just do it. Mm-hmm. Here's something that I need to reschedule. So this gives us, this is almost in a way a permission grid <laughs> yeah. of giving us permission to do one of the four things, delegate, do, put off till later or plan or um, so yeah, put off till later, yeah, yeah. which is plan really. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Plan is kind of put it off to later. <laughs> You're right. Which is okay. It's fine. Yeah, um, but yeah. It, which is especially great if it's not urgent, right? Right. Because when we start doing non-urgent things now, it actually gets in the way of what's essential. Yeah. Let me give you a few examples of that. <sighs> your I really e- love this. Your <clears throat> email inbox is mm-hmm. generally an urgency machine mm. because it's everyone else's urgency Mm-hmm. And so I use a, and by the way, I think it's built into Gmail now uh, where you can snooze things. 
I use the Boomerang built-in app. It's like a, it's a third-party app, yeah. and I boomerang things all the time. But I do so in a way to slow down the communication because oh, someone expects a response from me right now. Mm -hmm. That is important that I respond to this. By the way, if it's not important, I don't respond. I don't respond. If I do, I, I'm screwing up. But like, I don't respond to an email with a thanks or all right, see you then or whatever. Like, the reason I don't do that is because I don't like when people do it to me because it's, it's, filling, it's creating a, 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 rea a, a reactive cycle in a way. Yeah. It's radioactive uh, because like, it just, it's, it's a, a never-ending, all right, see you then. Cool, see you then. And it's like, what, what is going Thank on? Thank you. I remember the other day you you I think you were gone for the weekend or so you came back and there were like you know hundreds of emails and you were like I've got it there's something about this email well it's because everyone else's emergency has now become yours right and they're like hey, can you you can you respond by noon you know, what and it's like well no if if you're I'm sorry if you have bad expectations right mm -hmm. and that's why I even know with you like I. I'm never going to send you an email and expect an immediate response. If I really need, so, hey, uh, you know, there's a... You'll text me. Yeah, there's some sort of call query. I'll, I'll call yeah. you. Hey, man, uh, this is something that is more urgent, right? Because considering the medium for urgency is just as important, right? Like imagine if I had a really emergent, uh, uh, urgent thing that I needed to tell you, but I wrote it to you and put a stamp on it and mailed it to you. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, well... That clearly it wasn't that urgent right right in fact it's funny when you ever get spam mail and it says like urgent open immediately you know it's spam <laughs> right when someone else is creating urgency it's a red flag it's probably spam yeah it's probably not important at all spam is never important yeah and so what are the things that are important but not urgent in your life um, well, quite a few things, right? Mm. And so spending time with my wife is really important to me. Mm -hmm. It's not urgent right now. Mm. And so what do we do though? Because they're not urgent, we always put the, we forsake those things. Oh, it's not urgent. I'll get to it someday, right? Well, that's a, a lack of priorities there because yeah. we've let some, everyone else's urgency become our important things yeah. and the important things have gotten pushed out as a result. Yeah. I'm going to like take a picture of that. Cause that, act I mean, it's well, not the answer. It. It's not the answer to everything, but, um, it certainly helps. Yeah, I agree. I have a question here from James Young. Is being too busy a product of poor planning? Ooh, Let me, can I say this? I think it's a product of planning. Yeah, because uh, poor planning, it could uh, for me, I can take it one of two ways, which I think is it leads to exactly what you just said. But poor planning means not planning appropriately. So you cannot pr plan appropriately by not planning at all. So now everything's flooding in, and you didn't you didn't plan appropriately. So you got to be reactionary, mm -hmm. or it can come from over planning, over. Uh, yeah, from from planning too much in a way where. Remember back in the corporate days where we would plan too much, meaning yes, like every meeting after meeting after meeting, yeah, was scheduled in a way. Right and now, I'm seeing it on people's calendars, and people are posting it on like Twitter or Instagram or something. They they it, they show their calendar. It's like Zoom call, Zoom call, Zoom call, break, Zoom call, and it's like, okay, mm. you've planned really well. 
Right. And now that's you're busy. why you're busy. And that's why you're busy. You're right. Exactly. Yes. And, and so uh, instead instead of planning, what is the alternative then? I'm not saying don't plan because that is also a prescription, right? What I'm simply saying is that we can plan our way into obstacles. The synthetic obstacles are a product of of really great planning, skilled planning. Mm. And I'm a planner. I'm an IS or INTJ, depending on when I take the test. I'm probably an ISTJ. The last few times I've taken, I've I've been an ISTJ, which Mm. is ironically the exact opposite of you. (laughs) Uh, ENFP, Mm. ISTJ. And so the J means I am a planner. Uh, And uh, stranger, the P for you means you're uh, uh, spontaneous. And, and, And so... Yes, I am by nature a introverted, thinking, detail-oriented planner. And so I get it. I want to plan too. But planning too much is like the way that I was planning, I was planning my own misery. Hmm. And it felt good because ah, I, thought, I thought there would be like an end to it. Hmm. There was never an end to it. I got it perfect, Ryan. <laughs> I here's the thing. I thought I fixed it. But of course you can't fix your schedule. Your schedule isn't fixed. The time keeps going on. It keeps moving. You never have a fixed schedule. The closest thing I've ever had to a quote fixed schedule is when I don't have anything on the calendar. Mm. It's interesting because being the exact opposite personality, uh-huh. being spontaneous, I could become too busy because I'm spontaneously saying yes to everything or you're spontaneously combusting. Yes, exactly. And then planning. Yeah. You could plan yourself into busyness oblivion. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's doesn't matter what personality you have. I mean, there's a balance that one needs to figure out what that means for them. Well, let's dissect that a little bit. Cause I, I like where you're going with this because Yes, if we plan too much, we're just putting a bunch of obstacles up. Mm-hmm. If we are spontaneous all the time, then maybe what you're saying is that that leads to a particular kind of chaos, or can, doesn't necessarily, but can but lead to a particular kind of chaos. If you don't have that balance. Yeah, well, right, but but I don't. the balance thing is, is fascinating because then it's not like, well, I need to have the right amount of planning necessarily it well, yeah but but yeah you know, I, th- I think about let's 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 pause there so the, the right amount of planning i think about like when we're on tour mm-hmm. if i just spontaneously did everything it would feel chaotic to me because it's like oh we have okay we're up we got to go to this interview we got to do this we got to go to this next interview then we got to go sound check and then we i mean if i if i didn't know what the day was bringing it would feel chaotic because I wouldn't know when the next break was but being able to look at the calendar and be like oh okay we've got this these a lot of times mm-hmm. for these interviews and here's sound check and oh here's time to have dinner here's time for Mariah and I to go on a walk whatever it is mm. so for me for someone who's spontaneous like that is that's the appropriate amount of expectation uh, or the appropriate amount of planning so yeah um that's what I mean by the appropriate. 
the appropriate amount. Right. Or it, the it, balance, I it's guess. It's weird because balance. when I think of the planning, it's almost always planning things I don't want to do. You know, it's like uh, I, I think back to the corporate days. Mm. And mm. when I think of that kind of planning, it was like, well, I know there's a bunch of stuff that I don't really want to do, but you know what? I've got to do it, so I'm going to schedule it, right? Mm-hmm. And then you look at the calendar, and it's like, bop, 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 all these things. With the tour, it's a little bit different because for me, it was always like, oh, what's the next thing I get to do? Right. So it comes back to the have to versus get to sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. so I never felt overwhelmed on while we were touring. I never once felt overwhelmed by it. Me either. Unless I had a really bad night of sleep, but that's a different story. Me either. So maybe the balance is... Ooh, the, the balance isn't the, the plan. The balance is have to versus get to. Right. How many get to's what are your day? Yeah. What are your days filled with? The get to's or the have to's? Right. And the have to's are leading us to misery. Yeah. The get to's are leading us to experience. Yeah. Wow. Lydia has a question right there at the bottom, Ryan. What should I be doing when I have nothing to do? <laughs> <laughs> right. So let me rephrase the question here. Should I be doing nothing? And this gets back to the stillness conversation we had. And so I think we've already answered this, but basically you can't do nothing. Yeah. It's like I wrote that essay about um, what minimalism is not. Mm. Minimalism is not uh, concerned about doing something Mm -hmm. or becoming something. Minimalism is interested in being someone who returns to the natural order. And and the being is different from doing. I mean, there's a, a platitude of we're not human doings, we're human beings. Mm-hmm. And the reason there's, there's truth in that when you really sit down to think about it is we try to do our way out of the misery. But it's the doing that brought us this misery in the first place. Mm. It's always the sort of the the attempting it's this i mean i hate to say it like because i've gotten a lot of benefit from self-improvement but like the constant drive to improve oneself is through doing like the real improvement seems to like be through stillness or Mm. understanding right Mm. so that's a type of improvement Mm -hmm. again english language here screws everything up but the the in our culture, the improvement is always a doing. Like, I'm hitting the gym while on the conference call and uh, I'm uh, GTD, mm-hmm. getting things done. That's how I'm going to improve my life. That doesn't ever improve my life. Mm-hmm. Doing more does not improve. It, it's always about doing less. Yeah. Mm. But not doing less, but just less. It's about less. Yeah. Let's do one more question here from Sean. Cool. I believe busy is a symptom from not having control of one's schedule. However, sometimes being busy is unavoidable due to seasonal work schedules, major life events, moving and getting married. How do we deal with this necessary busyness? So would you call this week a necessary busy? Mm. No. No, I, I would say that I made a mistake. You were out of con- You were at you were accidentally out of control. I was borderline out of control. I didn't get there, but out of control was was right there on the on the horizon, and I was barreling toward it. Mm. And so, uh, 
I I could have, you know, with one other urgent task, could have very quickly, like we're supposed to be writing this proposal for Netflix right now. Oh yeah. Like if I would have said yes to that this week, in fact, I had to like uh, message you and, and yeah. Chris and, and Jacob to say no to that this week. Right. Like, hey, it's not happening. Right. Uh, yeah. And and the reason being is because that would have tipped me into busy. However, yeah. it was still a mistake to to not protract a little bit everything. And so it's a, a constant adjustment and understanding of, oh, okay, I'm usually good yeah. at this, but I've slipped up this week. And you have surrounded yourself with people who, when you reach out and you say, hey, I have to take this off my plate, not one person pushed back on you. What's your problem? You're not trying hard enough. Right. Have you ever heard of GTD, Milburn? You even know what that is? You like mail me a Franklin planner very passive aggressively. <laughs> right. But it's, it's interesting because, you know, when we were in the corporate world, we had no choice but to be surrounded by people who didn't respect our time. Mm. and people who didn't respect our personal space. You're right. And it's a lot of people are in that situation, man. And like, I don't, you know, we don't have the prescription on how to get out of that, but yeah, it's not a good place to be. The only prescription is a non-prescription and it's an understanding. And eventually, you know what you and I understood? Because you said very acutely, we didn't have a choice because everyone had demands on us. But then we understood, oh, wait, Maybe we do have a choice. Mm, yeah. Maybe this has been <gasps> this has been a choice the whole time. It was a cost that I wasn't willing to pay, and to, it's it's that whole thing of you know, uh, I didn't realize I wasn't thirsty until I until I was drowning. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it was like oh, like the there's a there's a cost to leaving that I finally was like. Oh, I'm actually willing to pay that cost. You were uh, finally serious. Yeah, right. And and I wanted to end this episode Ooh, with yeah, that's some good. Kapil Gupta because he has this. This is a public essay of his. You can, well, you can't. Um, you, like I said, I'm not. We're not going to put it in the show notes. Let me accent, let me accentuate something before you go into Gupta's essay. It's like, and it's funny because it's it hasn't clicked with me as much until right now. With, uh, when I was in the corporate world. It was like I was in the chair that was on fire. Mm. And looking for the how-to was screwing me over because there wasn't an easy how-to. It all took work that I didn't have to understand. But it wasn't until I was like in the chair on fire where I was like, oh, this is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Like I have to simplify. Like yeah. th- this is well, – I mean minimalism was definitely a way out. But when I got laid off – like I mean, I I had to simple. Like there was no prescription of like, okay, well now that I'm laid off, here's what I here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. It was, it was an inherent like, oh shit, like I if I want to survive, like I have to get rid of as all the debts that I can. I have to I have to minimize. I have to simplify. There was no how to. I mean, we were figuring it out as we went along, and of course with hindsight, there's some prescription there. But and even then, like there wasn't a. There literally wasn't a, a prescription because you, the how-to, you invented a new how-to, or you and right. I did together with the packing party. Yeah. That was never done before. Right. Uh, even though uh, what was new, and so I like the analogy of the chair burning, but I would take it a step farther, is throughout your 20s, you were sitting in a chair that was coated in kerosene. Yeah. And 
you weren't very serious about because th- there wasn't enough pain there yet. It wasn't yet a flame. Right. And, but I saw the kerosene and I'm like, yeah, th- this might set on fire one day. But it wasn't serious. But everyone enough. else is sitting in kerosene soaked chairs. Right. And Their they, chairs aren't on fire. I think. And by the way, the guy who's uh, the CEO. He has a big chair soaked in kerosene, mm-hmm. and I want a big chair soaked in kerosene. And it's funny because every once in a while, every one, every once in a while, one of those chairs would catch on fire. But I'm like, that's not going to happen to me. No, no, no. I mean, why would that happen to me? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, there was a lack of seriousness there. Mm-hmm. And eventually, the when you understood, oh, this thing's going to catch fire. You became serious, and then the how-to took care of itself. Yeah. This is only the serious arrive. This world is composed of the unserious. Society is created by the unserious. Lost in the feverish pursuit of pleasure, intoxicated by society's liquors, and mesmerized by its neon lights. From emails that litter my inbox to reflexive replies to my writings on social media. How do I do this? How do I get that? Why am I not fulfilled? How do I get rid of my fears? What methods do you recommend? The truth is, whatever a man does not have is due to a lack of seriousness to achieve it. This will incite legions of unserious humans. They will protest. But I have worked hard. That sounds right. Like, but I'm working hard, right? No, you're busy. But I've tried and tried. Yeah, I'm busy. That's the tried and tried. Mm-hmm. I have sacrificed everything. Or I've sacrificed this and that. You can't tell me I'm not serious. There is a great luxury in failure. So much so that society has endorsed this idea and lifted the failing man upon its shoulders. What else can it do? If society is filled with the unserious, this is the only thing it can sell. For no society can sell what it does not possess. If a man possesses only a heap of mud, he has no other choice than to package and sell this heap. The poor man is unserious. He possesses the fortitude to rise above his poverty. But the unserious stories he tells himself and the unserious ones that society tells him keeps him doomed to a life of poverty. The rich man is also unserious. He possesses the fortitude to become free of his anxieties, but his unseriousness drives him to seek prescriptions from the world of self-help, spirituality, and motivation. Because of his unseriousness, these things seem attractive to him. He fails to realize that the very thing that made him a success was ignoring such empty prescriptive modalities. Man, that's so much, that's so true, Ryan. So like it's fascinating because I've been allergic to prescriptions on the minimalism front since we were 29 years old when we mm. first stumbled into minimalism. Like right. the how-to thing, like even the listicles and all that. Mm-hmm. I saw the allure and I sort of understood it, but like I didn't ever wanted to write those things because I knew that they were fundamentally, I didn't have the words for it. I didn't even have the full understanding of it. They were unserious. Mm. The goop listicle is unserious. Right. It doesn't get to any truth. It can help you with some mechanics maybe. Sure. Uh, it can help you make a cleaner closet or whatever, but it's fundamentally unserious. Mm. The unserious man thinks to himself, 
everyone is saying this and that. The new thing is meditation. Let me try that. The new thing is stoicism. Let me try that. All the movers and shakers are trying it. It is being touted on the latest podcasts. The latest bestsellers are recommending mindfulness and morning routines. Reminds me of the dopamine fast that was popular in Silicon Valley a couple of years ago. Oh, tell me about this. Oh, they they just like intentionally deprive themselves of dopamine mm-hmm. because what happens is when you overstimulate yourself, mm-hmm. then the dopamine doesn't have the same effect. Right. So it was just like this yo-yo game that they were playing with dopamine fasting and oh. or it reminds me of the microdosing. Remember that was real big in Silicon Valley? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a new prescription. Right. Yeah. Yes, I will try these things. Maybe they will take me where I wish to go. Mm. The truth is, the types of things that one is attracted to are defined by his level of seriousness. The quality of questions one asks is a product of his level of seriousness. Siddhartha essentially said, to hell with the bodily mortification, meditation, and prescriptions. I'm going to sit under the tree and devote myself to enlightenment. My flesh may rot and my bones may break. If I die, so be it. But one of two things will happen. Enlightenment or death. Make no mistake, Siddhartha's enlightenment was not the result of sitting under a tree. It was the result of his seriousness. Mm -hmm. An act is an act. Anyone can act. Anyone can follow an act. But the act does not create the result. That's that's one of the hardest things I've had to grasp. Mm-hmm. The act, because for the longest time, I've recommended to people that mm-hmm. they take action. They take massive action. Mm-hmm. And, and while I'm not against the action, what he's saying is the action alone does not create the result. No. The a- <laughs> Sitting under the tree, is the, that's, the, that's, the best, that's the best analogy he could have used. Because sitting under a tree, it doesn't work prescriptively. Right. It only works if if that is what you have to. It's like it made me think of uh, when Bruce Lee was training when he was a kid, or maybe he was training someone. But there's a story about how he was running, and he was like, you know, he's like running behind a car. Yeah. And he was telling his his mentor, his coach, like. I can't run anymore. Like if I run another mile, I'll die. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well then die. Oof. And like he ran the other, he ran that extra mile and he didn't die. But that's where he was in the tree. He was like, I'm either going to like find enlightenment or I'm going to die. He was so serious. Running behind the car isn't the answer. Sitting under the tree isn't the answer. Uh-huh. The answer is when you have that leverage to figure it out. Yeah. You figure it out no matter what the act is, you end up figuring it out. Right. And you don't need the prescription at that point. Exactly. Yeah. So what we're saying is declutter or die. <laughs> <laughs> Give us all your stuff or die. <laughs> all right. Carrying on here, returning to text. If the act created the result, then anyone could sit under a tree and become enlightened. So mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. Attracted by such silly ideas, people buy books that tell them to mimic the behaviors of successful people. Behavior does not make a man. Mm. Behavior is a byproduct of one's level of seriousness. One who is unserious speaks and acts in a certain sort of way. One who is serious speaks and acts in a different way. The details of such ways are secondary. 
their quality and their nature is primary. Can I make an unserious man successful? Can I help an unserious man become free and peaceful and anxiety-free? No. Can I help an unserious man conquer his mind? Let us speak truth. Firstly, it is not I who does these things. It is something that arises within me and which moves through me. Mm. Secondly, the answer to these questions is yes. That which moves through me is able to help even the unserious man achieve such things. I don't, I, yeah, okay, keep reading. Let us speak one final truth. <laughs> is this going to happen? No, it is not. Hmm. So that's where he's going here. The things that, that speak through him could help the unserious man, but it won't. Uh, the, I see. The could, reason yeah. it is not is that in order for me to help a human achieve such things, a particular level of inspiration must arise within me. This inspiration unlocks the gates to the powers that the universe provides. This inspiration releases the energy and the elixir necessary to take a human to such heights. Such an inspiration is not under my control. Mm. It arises when the conditions are ripe. An unserious human does not create such a ripened condition. Hey, Josh, inspire me to be serious. <laughs> it's so silly when you think of it that way. Yeah, as soon as you say it out loud, you're like, oh, I realize the, the foolishness of what I'm saying. Here's Man. one final truth. So the question is, like, how do you get serious? How do you, how do you get serious? Mm. And that's, that answer is different for everyone. I think it, what, what Kapil would say is it's a DNA thing. If I, if I were to translate that, like, not genetic DNA, but, like, it's a... It comes from it, your DNA. It comes from your... Constitution. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's... Dude, it was like the packing party. That was... That, that was the sitting under the tree. Yes. Yes, that, it was. That was, but the packing party is a, and I think that is prescriptive in a way that if someone really wants to get clear on all the crap that they own and what is actually adding value to their life, that will help them prescriptively gain a new perspective. Mm-hmm. It will help it, them be serious, though. Exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let's, this, here's uh Shit, uh, man, I've been wrong all the, we have to delete all our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> up to this one <laughs> I have a final truth for you here from Kapil the end of this essay great way to end the episode Ryan human beings have a habit of doing a lot that's what we're talking about today right the busyness mm-hmm. doing a lot that's mm-hmm. all busyness is doing yeah. a lot of working hard of effort sweat and toil a major reason that they do these things is in order to provide themselves with a consolation prize when they fail. Humans have been conditioned to supplant effort and hard work as the achievement itself. Mm. This is the natural result of the unserious. The Minimalists. <laughs>